Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. It's uh, such a pleasure to have you in this podcast. Good morning to you, Dricia. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other for some years. Uh, I had the great pleasure to, to attend one of your uh, courses. And it was, yeah, it was such a pleasure to work with you at that time and to do supervision with you. And um, I have thought of you because you're not in a corporation, you're not leading thousands of people, but in a way you are. Um, you have worked with thousands of people over the years and so many people are following you and following what you say, reading your books. You're so productive and so influential in, in your role as a, as a coach and as a, as a um, yeah, leader in, in the field that I thought that's, that belongs in this podcast. So welcome, Ella. Thank you. <laughs> And um, I thought we may um, just start with with your your journey as a, as a coach and as a um, as, as a thought leader because you started a long time ago as an entrepreneur. We are now in times where I think lots of people have started their own business or their coaching or whatever business they have started, or they are maybe thinking of that, and you have done it for so many decades now, and uh, people may, may learn from you. So let, let's, what was your first, let's start with the beginning maybe, and what was your very first idea to say, okay, I'm going to start my own business, and I'm going to go my own way. How did it start? Actually, uh, I could say the, I, I never had that idea in mind. And on the other hand, I've always been totally independent. Uh, so in a way it's natural to to be my own uh, self-employed person in a way it's a kind of one man entrepreneur in other words you have to do everything for yourself and make it work and so on um, so I've, I've always had that kind of uh, what very jealous of my independence and, and um, uh, not rebellious, but independent. I, I, not, uh, I've never had anybody tell me how to think. And even in France, when I did my military service, I got into a lot of trouble because I, I would, you know, not accept to do stupid things. And I would say it. Uh, I'm ready to follow anybody. It's not a question of being a leader. Uh, but it has to be in some form of, of general intelligence. It has to have a purpose. And, and uh, in a way, I've always had my purpose. Uh, so when did I start having a business? Actually, I, I was first employed as the first uh, employee in a, in a starting business in uh, 1976. And uh, in 1977, the people who, you know, were doing this business were actually a lot of self-employed people. The business was, 
was sort of a shell with only one employee that was me. They didn't get along very well, so they they named me manager of the thing because I was the, probably the most insignificant person in the whole lot. Um, and for a while, I tried to get them to get along, and then I gave up, and they left. And so I, I was left uh, with a company in my hands, a shell. Uh, what, what kind of company was that? It was a trading company with a transaction analysis at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a first book at the time on transaction analysis, and it became a bestseller. It's still a setting, I think. It probably you know, turned out a million copies uh, over, over 45 years which is not much per year, but, but uh, it, it keeps on selling. And so that sort of puts me and the company on the market. And I was, you know, so, so I started working for myself in the company and then hiring people and gradually it developed and developed and developed uh, just out of uh, natural growth. And, and uh, I, I had to learn how to run a company. You know, I had no business uh, background or anything. I, my my uh, education in the States was uh, ethnology, social sciences, and a nice Presbyterian Middle West college. Uh, uh, you know, 2,000 students at the time. It was, uh, so I, I was nowhere prepared to go into business, quote unquote. And I wasn't motivated by making a business and running a business uh, mm. motivated by in a way uh, more than a leader i would say well yeah i'm in sort of a, a school of thoughts type of leader or uh, yes yeah i've developed a kind of frame of reference and 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 and, and um, what the, the thinking around uh, systemic work systemic coaching and systemic work in organizations but before coaching i was actually a systemic consultant so i, I sort of brought that into coaching uh, when i became a coach Alain, when you, you said earlier that you always had a sen sense of purpose i know that lots of people are looking for their purpose for the purpose of their life activities and you've always had it. What does that mean? What, what kind of purpose did you have? Huh. Well, in a way, uh, my, what, my uh, interest for systems thinking is that I've always looked for what was the meta system. In other words, uh, what's the system above systems? What's, uh, what structures everything? What's behind everything? Mm -hmm. and today, in quantum physics, we could probably say math. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, uh, math actually is the direct uh, access to the underlying, uh, underlining uh, hologram uh, of uh, existence, uh, and the universe is a hologram, and, and we're you know, perceiving it through our fractals. But uh, I was looking for that. Uh, I, I think from the teens, uh, I, I had rather, you know, uh, well, I was a sports honcho in an American high school in Egypt and, uh, and already considered a kind of figure, because, but because of sports and because of, you know, and sort of social popularity. Um, and basketball uh, champion and so on and uh, you know pole vaulting and stuff so uh, people would look up at me and I, I had a kind of I would say aura or something but in a high school sense mm -hmm. uh, but at the time I had a spiritual call in a way in other words what's behind all this and what's the system behind systems you could say it's spirituality yes yes it is and in a way, the best way I found without going into guru things and so on is to go into research with clients and, and, and systems analysis uh, gets me closest to it in today quantum thinking, actually. Yeah. 
um, which is my latest book, as a matter of fact, if I can do some advertising here, it's on Amazon and it's quantum coaching or quantum thinking and systemic coaching. Yes. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is follow your calling, your curiosity, the, the topic and the, uh, that, that is really the center of your interest. And this is what you have been doing all your life, basically. And it's focused on my development. Yeah. In other words, it, it's uh, today I think the best way to develop myself is to develop other people. And the best way to develop other people is to develop myself. And that also is completely quantum. In other words, there's no out there out there. I mean, clients are projections and I fit into their projections. And so how do we accompany our, our common you know, fractals so that we can grow together and, and grow our, you know, participation in the universe. Uh, but what, why, why was developing yourself so important for you? Because they are probably, less, we all develop in a way, but we don't all do it in a very conscious way. And so intentionally the way you did it and the way I, I, I may do it and some other people. So why, why was it so important to you to develop yourself? I don't know. It's a, it's a calling. It's not really develop myself in a, in a material way, but it's understand myself and expand myself and mm -hmm. become more aware. So I went through, you know, 20 years of therapy and I, I did a lot of breathing work and, uh, even as a you know teenager and later I used to go uh, snorkeling diving uh, mm -hmm. 30 meters underwater which is hyperventilation and then diving hyperventilation and then diving and so on and, you know you do this eight hours a day you go through some freaky experiences mm -hmm. uh, and so through through body work through therapeutical work through you know all kinds of different uh, ways. I was in the States also in the glorious uh, 60s and 70s, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, during the hippie period. And, and there's a lot of mind-expanding exploration at this mm -hmm. time uh, that, uh, you know, that, that has influenced me in a way. I, I could say probably in my thinking today, I'm not, nothing more than a sort of flowered children type of person mm -hmm. uh, that hasn't stopped but just changed the way I, I speak, in other words, uh, or, or communicate, or um, I'm still a, a sort of a product of uh, uh, 68, 67, mm -hmm. uh, 69. Uh, How old were you at that time? Oh, I was uh, in the States in uh, 68, and I was uh, therefore 19, uh, and stayed there seven years from 67 to 73, mm -hmm. 74. And so that was, uh, you know, Kent State and, and the Flower Power and, and, and rock festivals and Nixons and sit-ins. You know, it was quite a sort of you know social revolution yeah. what did you what did you get for yourself in that time what was so important for you when you left what you say okay we're looking back that was well, i was rather world. lost at the time i sort of mm -hmm. plunged into very deeply different types of experiences mm -hmm. um, but um, in a way i didn't really know what to do with them uh, I had worked, uh, you know, nights in a factory to pay for my schooling and, and really, you know, at the time I remember that the, the, the boss in the, in the factory came to me and said, if you want to join the company, well, you know, we'll, we'll design a career for you. You know, I was already doing things there, which was... Uh, you know, working very well, but being very independent and reorganizing things so they could be much more effective in the in the factory. Uh, so I was almost running the night shift at one point, uh, being an employee. Uh, <laughs> but lost, lost, and and still exploring and learning and 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 guiding others. So it's kind of a different definition of loss than some people would. 
Well, in a way, I was doing a lot of things, uh, following a, a, a sort of intuition about where my my star was, but uh, you know, fumbling around. Yes, I can say today I was following my calling, and I can almost you know verbalize it well. But all this, when I was eighteen, twenty, twenty-five, mm -hmm. thirty, even forty, is a kind of dotted line. Yeah. You know, gradually, as you grow, you know, your dotted line becomes a, a pretty clear groove, you know. Yeah. Yes, and the picture, and then you, you see the picture looking yeah. back. Looking back, you can see it's a straight road, you know. Looking forward, it looks like a fog, but looking back, you, you know, you know you have a direction by looking in the rearview mirror. It's mm. kind of paradoxical. <laughs> it's beautiful. So let's let's go further into the exploration and your calling and how how you developed, developed as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call it a business. Uh, my my point is not developing a business. It's more like developing a, a network, a school of thought, uh, mm -hmm. friendships, connections. Yeah. And if I look at it today, I, I could say there's, you know, good connections with um, a network that's developing in the Spanish environment that goes to Spain and Chile and so on. Uh, and myself went to Buenos Aires and developed a few things there. And so there's some network going there. Um, there's a lot in Romania also, thanks to my mm -hmm. wife who's Romanian. So I've been going there <clears throat> for, you know, 20 years on a regular basis and really building a community there. So I would say it's probably one of the most formally perceptible or established is, is the Romanian, you know, systemic coach community that um, that I've been sort of helping develop for, for a long time now. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, uh, in France too, I mean, having a school since uh, 15 years now, systemic coaching school, there's a uh, this influence and and then there's others uh, like people uh, you know like you from germany italy uh, netherlands and so on that, that you know sort of look up and say hey you're doing something interesting can i come and train and i say hey, sure you know and, and um, so they come to different workshops now i've always been rather local thanks to this uh corona you know virus uh, crisis we we switched to online from one day to the next uh, with the school business because I also have a coach and organization coaching business. And, uh, so actually now we're offering online courses that are accessible, accessible for much more people uh, because, you know, we were mostly local traveling here and there, but doing it local in the classroom. And it's a good opportunity for you to bring together all those different networks that yeah, yeah. in different countries and um, yeah. online business you can you can bring everybody together and that's well they were they were kind of connected before because there's uh, transversal projects here and there and uh, Haresh yeah. uh, in Romania actually speaks French and understands French very well and Claude doesn't speak English he's is more the Spanish and French, but there's, there's connections that happen because of common products uh, that, you know, or interest. And I usually, you know, say, oh, so-and-so is doing this, you know, here, here's the connection. Now in France is also a, a local network in Lyon mm -hmm. and they're working together and so on. Now I'm in nowhere managing this. I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself in, in no way uh, a manager of this. Uh, it's a real network. In other words, everybody in the system should be a hub and call other people, you know, for support or, or delegate to other people. So mm -hmm. it, it's every which way, you know, a lot of people call it a network, but it's centralized. Uh, Metasystem coaching today is in a way, if you call it just a French company, well, it's me and my assistant, but we do a lot of things together across, you know, the Middle East and so on with different people. Yes, exactly. And very often it doesn't even go through my company. I mean, most of the time what they do is theirs, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, just for the 
coach and entrepreneurs out there who are also um, in the process of developing either they are further or they are at the beginning of the line of their uh, mm. business or the development of their, of their a coaching career. What would you recommend from the learnings of your own journey? What could you share from you that could be useful to others? Well, one thing, if, you, if I consider um, uh, myself as an entrepreneur, uh, my, I, I've always had a, a kind of, you know, constant strategy. Uh, it, basically, it's a generous one. In other words, uh, uh, you need to under-promise and over-deliver. Mm. Uh, in other words, it, it's not about having an ego trip. It's about really um, serving other people uh, and, and really bringing huge added value. The, the, they don't expect. Mm. In the company, and they hear a lot of different advertisements, different people, okay? A lot of different people tend to oversell and then when you scratch the surface of the marketing, well, it's just a repackaged old stuff, you know, uh, with, with little, you know, uh, it looks fancy. There's some nice gimmicks, but, but it's, it's, it's not outstanding. It's not innovating. It is not wow. Uh, this is out there, you know. So in a way, it's really important if you're going to be, at other people's service to do it really, really well. And not necessarily to brag, because if you under-promise, over-deliver, the clients will be so surprised that they will tell people about it. They'll do your sales, they'll do your marketing. You don't need marketing and sales. You don't need fancy packaging. Mm-hmm. You need a, a, a really a wow product uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that you, can, you can communicate humbly. Uh, now, that's a long-term strategy. Mm. In other words, it takes time to build and so and to get known. And, and then the word of mouth speeds up. Uh, in a way, we could say it's a viral approach. Uh, you say, yes. you know, today it looks like, wow, it's up there and so on. Well, there's, you know, 35, 45 years of gradual, you know, building and growth and tweaking and, and really with each client doing better than with the one before. Yeah. In other words, the, the place I've learned most, actually, the people I've learned most is from clients. Um, because we work together and develop together. And sometimes I wonder, what do they want from me now? They still come calling on me. And I say, come on, you know, uh, I don't know what you expect. And then they say, you're always, you know, the answer, you, they, you're, you're always inspiring. So it doesn't matter what you think you do, you know, let, let's just get started together and we'll Take see, what we're you know, and it's emerging. So, in a way, most of what I've developed has gradually emerged, you know, in me with my clients or in my clients with me. I don't know which. That's the the beautiful part of coaching, actually. Did you have moments or times where you, you had doubts and you were maybe in a crisis? In a way, it's no secret. There's, a, you know, crisis periods in life and a lot of people put it at the turn of decades and as a matter of fact now I'm 71 so uh, I am having a lot of health issues that are indicators of different things that are changing and uh, when when you're I don't know 45 you don't know what the 50s are and when you approach the age of 50 51 52 you know there's a big shuffle reshuffle and you don't know what's after. You can always have ideas. You don't know. And um, the latest one that I went through uh, completely is the 60s. <coughs> For me, it was, you know, retirement. Uh, and uh, Retirement? I didn't notice any retirement. No, no. This is before. In other words, in the 50s, you say, what do I want to do after? What's your idea? You may build ideas. Yeah. And then... Uh, uh, 
administratively in France, you have to retire because you change your status and you start getting retirement. Mm -hmm. So that sort of pushes people to say, okay, so I'm going to let go. Um, because that's the status administrative thing. You, you can't work in the same way after you're 65. You can't be salaried after you, and so on. So that pushes you to, to a form of deadline and it creates thinking. But I think even biologically you go through that. And so you have a, a bunch of ideas, but when you go through it, you actually end up doing something completely different. The 60s are really liberating in a way. And I started traveling all over the place again and, and so on and developing other things. In the 60s, I started so many projects that, that you know, are still pending. Mm. In a way, that's the great part about this virus is I, you know, finished two books. So I can finish another two um, because I have at least four or five books that, that were ongoing. Go ahead. Uh, no, ongoing. Some, you know, one is still hanging there. It's got over 50, 60 pages. It's not even in form. Uh, if I work on it, uh, I can finish it. Another one, uh, you know, some are in English and, and need to be rewritten in French and vice versa. Some, you know, I, I can update a few that are, you know, I, I can, you know, there's a bunch of things. There's uh, online projects. All of this are of the 60s. Now, now I'm hitting the 70s and again, you know, uh, I'm in the middle, I'm still 71. I think it'll probably last at least another year until I'll, I'll be able to have a heads up on, on what's after. Uh, but you reshuffle. So there are doubts. Yes. But, but fundamentally, you still have the same Northern Star, you know. Uh, yeah, I like, I like the word reshuffle because it takes... It takes the, the, the fear and the dramatic out of the word crisis. It's just... I mean, this is, uh, I don't want to repeat obvious things, but people say crisis is opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's a concept for a lot of people, uh, and coaches love to gargle with it, but uh, I see a lot of coaches today that are freaking out, saying, where's my business, what am I doing, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people just watching TV all day and, and saying, when's it going to be over? Uh, which, is, which is okay in a way because sometimes we go emotionally through these periods so sure, like, sure. everybody's human sure, sure. a good depression is worth it stay in the bottom of your bed keep the lights out and, and use it okay but <laughs> when it's over get out yeah. don't depend i mean don't be environment dependent or weather dependent some people say you know it's raining and they get depressed and they say uh when it's over i'll go out okay and this is the uh, same thing as coronavirus in other words if if you're weather dependent or environment dependent uh, you're dependent yes uh, I've always loved my independence. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a lovely, that's a lovely statement. I love that. <laughs> um, talk to us a bit about the. Um, I, I love this. Uh, you, you talked about it at the beginning, but um, what, what is systemic coaching? What is it? Ah, uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's hard to say in terms of uh, theory and so on, but basically you don't look at things the same way. You, you kind of look at interactions and flow rather than entities. Uh, I could give a rapid uh, idea, for instance, in terms of teams and team meetings. Uh, yeah, just give us an example. That's good. Oh, okay. So imagine you come in an executive team that you know very well and you observe the process for about 10 minutes. What I mean by process is not the content, but what's going on. You know, where the people are sitting is already a statement. Yes. Who's next to whom and so on. But then when the process starts is who talks first and who argues against and who's fighting whom and who's in coalition with whom and who's sort of the independent republic and who, you know, starts strong but peters out at the end who what's going on make a mapping of this yes, which map. is basically you know the interactive uh, map uh, over a sequence a uh, 10 15 minute sequence uh, 
Now, uh, what happens if you come in another meeting a month later on a completely different subject is you may see exactly the same sequence between the same people. In other words, the sequence is predictable, the process is predictable. You can probably say that meeting subjects are just excuses to get together and show who we are in terms of systems. In other words, the main reason to have meetings is to repeat and remind ourselves of what's our pecking order of sorts, but in much greater complexity. It's not a linear pecking order. It's a, it's a form. This form, you could say, is the DNA um, that, that is going to be materialized by content. Uh, so, you know, even the decisions that come out of the sequences are always the same. In one case, I mean, it's rather common. The decision is we can't decide we need another meeting. In other words, a meeting is there to provoke another meeting so we can repeat our process. And this is reassuring. Our process is who we are. It reminds us of who we are. Now, it evolves slowly over time. Now you could go, if you want to go a little further, to another meeting in the same organization, which is in another team, and you may see the same process carried by different people. In other words, if you, in one meeting there's two people fighting in the middle and their disagreement really structures everything. Well, in every team in the system, you probably see the same thing done by other people. So you could say that a meeting process has nothing to do in an in a organization, specific organization, has nothing to do with the people there, nor with the subject they pretend to be working on. They're just repeating the process in every organ of the system with the same DNA. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, now, if anybody comes in and changes this or tries to change this, well, like anybody, uh, everybody's going to agree that you have to throw them out, reject it. Okay. So, so that's the problem with change management is that uh, systems call you as a coach and say they want you to change, to help them change. You know, but the game is if you bring change, we'll kick you out. You know, we'll reject okay. you like a virus. This is uh, uh, organizations or organisms. That's why we call them organizations. They're not mechanisms. Uh, they're not mechanizations. And so uh, a systems approach is a kind of biological and I would say quantic look at what's yeah. going on that has nothing to do with the surface of things. Now, uh, for us, if you look at things this way, the question becomes, how do you tweak the processes to bring change? Because bringing a different subject doesn't change anything and bringing a different person doesn't change anything. So changing people doesn't change much. Yes, this is like most organizations yeah, yeah. know that when they are really, yeah, if, yeah. if they are really, really honest. They, and really reshuffling everything by reorganizing, you wait till the dust settles and you have the same problem. So yeah. it's just postponing actually. But the real, you know, I mean, systemic change is accompanying systems to change their processes so that, that they don't repeat the same thing no matter what they do and no matter who's there. In interactive operational processes. It's not relationships. A lot of psychologists will say, "Yeah, yeah, we have to work on the relationship." No, this is on the people level. You, you can, you can, but you don't have to because it, it won't it change have processes. A, a huge impact in uh, influencing the system. Yeah, it, I mean, look at it uh, honestly. In the last 50 years, there's a lot of individual, psychological, relational work in organizations. What has changed in terms of systems? Nothing. Nothing, yes. yes. Most of the time, when somebody really develops individually in an organization, he becomes unadapted and he leaves. Most of the time, the result of excellent coaching is your client quits because the client develops, the organization doesn't, the discrepancy becomes bigger and bigger, and the client leaves, or, you know. So, so coaching does help individuals get out of unhealthy systems, or at least systems they end up growing out of, but systems don't develop because nobody coaches systems, and systems don't want to develop. 
they're much more resistant than individual. Just and give us, give us an example of intervention you do that helps de develop systems. Well, I mean, for instance, you can have a lot of different models, but it's accompanying them to change their processes. So, I mean, you can be really basic about it and say, okay, in your team meeting, uh, experiment with uh, operating process, which is the following. Whenever somebody says anything, he doesn't speak again until five other people have spoken. You need to count it on your fingers. Okay. So you don't speak again until you've heard five different people speak. Okay. This is in a team of seven, for instance. So you, you play you play with the system basically. You well, you play with the operating trick, trick with the system. Yeah, you play with the operating processes. This fits in any system, no matter the personalities and no matter the subject, okay? Uh, the individual and what... It's not a question of, oh, oh, my personality, my emotions, or my superior intelligence and my arguments. It, it just cuts all the bullshit to basic operating principles. Now I'm giving you a very simple one. Yes, of yes. course, over yes, time, I've, I've seen we've you. played with the complexity of this and there's a lot of different things that can happen. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the result is it may completely change the organization's culture. When, when was the, the very first time you started with this kind of interventions and with this kind of approach? When, when was it? Because you started with transaction analysis and it's, yeah. it's quite different from what you're doing completely, now. Completely. Analysis is you know, interesting as a psychological approach. And yes. Ben was actually you know, developed his thing because he, he was not accepted by his analyst as a, you know, a psychoanalyst. So he, was, he, he ran off and, and built his own thing. So it's quite rebellious, but also quite creative and so on. Now there's nothing really systemic in, in transaction analysis because it's, uh, you know, ego states, me and you, uh, uh, you know, plus and minus, which is uh, life positions and so on and so forth, symbiosis. It's, also, it's always bipolar. It's always one and the other, stimulus response. Yeah. Now, there's two concepts that I, you know, started getting excited about. One is some triangular games where you have more than two roles. Okay, so uh, so you start bringing uh, complexity or, or the drama triangle where you always have, you know, three possible roles, which could be three people. And then there's also the public. So that brings it to four and you start getting complexity. And, and also the, the triangular contract uh, that, you know, I yes. used and really developed into a lot. Uh, so it was an opening towards uh, more than bipolar uh, triangulation, we could say. As soon as you start getting into triangulation, you become systemic. Um, at any rate, at some point, I was doing some work with. Uh, it, it all started actually quite specifically. I was quite uh, creative on learning uh, exercises and games and, and architectures, and uh, um, a team of internal. Um, trainers in a company that was called Talbot at the time. It's actually Peugeot now, but it was a, a French car company. I had an internal team of trainers and they asked me to train them on my training methodologies, not on transaction analysis, but on some exercise games, tools I used and so on. And I told them, okay, I can, you know, teach them how to use it, but let's do it with you being the client. You'll learn by doing it yourselves first. And that was the first time I applied some learning exercises in a real system because they worked together all day and their boss was there. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and so by accident, I started doing things within teams instead of as we used to do it all the time is, you know, open training, even in companies, you know, if you train salespeople, they say, okay, we'll bring salespeople from all over the country. They don't work together. It's better that way they'll get involved more it's to protect them and so on. But actually it's to avoid working within systems, real systems. So gradually I realized with, you know, if you work with real systems, doing the same thing, uh, you get 10 times more result because the team will continue and follow up and carry it. It becomes a collective sort of project. If you train an individual, he goes back to his team, the team doesn't want it. You train the team, they go back and, and, and they do it. So even if you want to, do, you know, I mean, teach accounting and teach it to a team, you'll have more results. Uh, so I started generalizing this in, in, yeah. in my, uh, you know, training business at the time. And as a result, it became more and more a consulting business because working with teams, you follow up and, and you, you start becoming the team expert for them. And so it was called team building, but I actually call that team development because it was already looking at interfaces. It was not about relationship. It was, you know, developing their, and gradually, well, it became management teams and sales teams and then executive teams. And then, you know, um, so I grew up, we could say in a hierarchy, um, so growing and learning and experimenting and using yeah. what you have learned so far and applying it and learning more yeah, yeah. and expanding and extending your impact. And then by accident, actually by accident later, I stumbled on this family therapy book by Palazzoli, Salvini, Milan people. Yes. You know, doing Very interesting. You know, family therapy. And when I read the book, said, hey, this, that's what I'm doing, but in a different field, you know, and I started really jumping into systems analysis much later because... I, I was doing it without having the theoretical background, but then all of a sudden, uh, through uh, that approach, I got into you know Palo Alto and so on and so forth, and then today more quantum thinking and biological thinking, and, and you know getting models where I can out of organizational models because those are, you know, for, as far as I'm concerned, they're dead models. They're mm -hmm. mechanical models. They're you know, from the industrial revolution models. Uh, this is completely out of date. If you want to talk about the millennial shift into, you know, biological thinking, it's, it's over. I love that. I love it. it's, it's, it's the way I've, I've always known you and it gets more and more interesting the more we listen to you. Uh, because we're slowly coming to the end of, uh, of this conversation and I, I would love to hear your take on what is happening currently around the corona crisis, but at a bigger level. And there are lots of different approaches. At a systemic level, what is happening is extremely interesting because there is a reshuffle of so many things, and I hope we're going to learn from that. Well, I would say it was kind of... I have a perception, okay? It's only mine, and it's also local. I'm in Paris and so on, but I have a perception. And basically, it's not changing much in terms of what was coming. Because for the last few years, we could say there's a sort of balkanization of the world. In other words, people are pulling back within their boundaries, like Brexit. Uh, Brexit was before the virus, uh, the states, you know, by American, uh, let's build walls. In other words, uh, globalization has been relocalized. Uh, re yes, so in some areas, yes. I, I In a lot of places. It's back to uh, defending our country, etc., our own interests. And now, for me, I've been seeing this happen, okay? Some people wanting to, you know, fight it back, but at the same time, there's a clear idea that there's a problem with globalization because... Yes, and there's a positive dimension, which is, which we could say is the flow of information, but there's a negative one, which is, you know, you know, really uh, global warming and so on and so forth, and you know, dumping in other countries, uh, 
what you want, don't want to do in yours. In other words, exporting all, all your trash in other countries, exporting it to the oceans, etc. Mm. Uh, so globalization, uh, when you have walls, uh, so there's, there's been a building of walls. Now the coronavirus, came to really accelerate this. So it's not only walls around countries, it's around cities, it's around city blocks, and it's around apartments, okay? Get back in your walls and get back to basics and get back to your roots. And then let's, let's do, you know, a real minimalist type of uh, uh, thing for a number of months, and that's confinement. And get back to nothing and start rethinking your way up. Okay. Uh, now, in France, I mean, it, it's not only a wall around France, it's almost regional. It's, uh, it's around cities. It's around... Yes, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so, I, I, I think it's interesting because it's, uh, it's going to have an effect. Yeah. Now, to give, uh, to give an info, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, for instance, I mean, why I have offices? Uh, uh, companies are spending a lot of money in offices and trying to press down uh, the cost of labor instead of saying we don't need offices, we need the labor, we, we need the people, we need the good people. If they get rid of all their square kilometers of offices, uh, some companies have, I mean, it's amazing, uh, they can really save on cost and use that savings more intelligently by having people work from home. So one tendency, I would say, is if you have office space in big cities, uh, you're going to lose a lot of money. Okay? If you're renting out office space, it's, uh, it used to be a money maker, uh, is going to be a money loser. Now, the equivalent is going to happen individually, because if I have to live in cities, because my company is in a city, now I can work from home, why don't I live out in the country? You know, and I can have a, a garden and grow my stuff. Who knows? It may be useful. I can have a wall around it. I can protect myself much better. And I can be in the sunlight. If I, you know, am confined, I can still go in my garden. Uh, and so on. So apartments in big cities are going to come crashing down. Okay? If you follow the line of thought. And cities will probably gradually have to adapt and become much greener. You can imagine, even at some point in time, that there may be some food gardens that start growing in cities. And that, uh, I mean, they're talking about it before the crisis, but uh, the Garde d'Austerlitz, they want to destroy it. And they were saying, let's make a park out of it, you know, okay. Uh, but there's a lot of places in cities that are concrete uh, uh, that, won't, that, that won't be needed. Okay? There's a lot of garages that are going to be empty. I mean, this is places where you could probably grow mushrooms and all kinds of things like this, and, you know, or, or rewire to, to be, you know. There is going to be some big shift in cities after people pull out because there'll be available space to do other things, including, we could say, you know, industrial growth in a way in, in quarters by shifting those quarters to, to do good, healthy, you know, uh, uh, growing as if it was outside the, of different food products and so on and so forth. That, that will be yes. That, that's that's interesting. I have uh, I hadn't never thought of this kind of uh, scenario before. But there are so many scenarios that we don't no. see yet. No. Now, what's interesting for me is not to think in terms of ideological scenarios. You know, which is back to the grassroots, etc., no, no, no. etc. Et which ideologically is is interesting and has some value and so on. But to think more in terms of what's going to be necessary for big companies to survive, and what is going to be the effect of this, and where does it go? Mm. And one obvious dimension is uh, people have learned how to work from home and they have learned how to meet, uh, have meetings from home, be online, and they have discovered that they waste much less time and the company has discovered that they're much more effective. 
The one-hour uh, online meeting is 10 times more efficient than a three-hour uh, in the same room meeting because you eliminate all the, the, the politics and so on. You have to be effective. So the, the effectiveness of, uh, I don't know, five online work between people, five hours, uh, very clearly uh, goes beyond eight or ten hours in an office because you eliminate the politics and so on and so forth. It gets much more results oriented. Uh, so people are going to have to look for the political relationship, ego type of things that they have in meetings. They're going to have to look for it elsewhere. They'll, they'll find it if, you, if they look for it. But, uh... They'll find it, but probably not in their company anymore. Okay? <laughs> so actually online work is going to clean up a lot of things and companies are going to realize this is much more effective to achieve results than all our political stuff that we have with our publics and so on and so forth. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, is the higher you are in a company, the more you need an audience for your ego. Come on, you know. Um, Sorry. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, Adler, for sharing sharing your your thoughts around the the future developments of of our societies and the and the and the business in the time. Well, I hate to finish on that note because it's not very positive. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I love the laughing, and and it's very positive. I think the way you describe it because. There, there, there is always um, a time after, and, and and there's always something coming out of of a yeah. crisis, and yeah. that's the reshuffling we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And and there is a a global uh, social and business reshuffling at the moment, and yeah. um, we, we, we'll all learn from it. So that's yeah. Thank you very much, and for the laugh as well. So. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> you, you wanted to add something. We, uh, I wanted to close this conversation on the word leadership and uh, what it means for you. And uh, because it's a leadership um, backstage podcast, and I wanted to finish on that on that note, if you want. And uh, but also that you wanted to add something. So tell me what, what's in your mind. Well, I, you know, I couldn't speak for hours, so mm -hmm. I, at some point I have to limit it. But I, I, I think um, in terms of leadership, I've never seen myself as a leader, except as a, you know, influencer or a thought leader or, you know, things like this. And I, I think it's a different type of leadership, actually. Yes, it is. It's not control-oriented. It's more like generosity-oriented or something like that. At any rate, thank you very much. Uh, if I have a last word, I think that's the uh, most important one. Thank you for this opportunity. And it's nice to see you again. It's been a while. I've been yeah. following you all over the world on your trips through, through uh, you know, um, what do you call it? Social uh, media or whatever, and, uh, Facebook and so on. But um, nice to see you again and reconnect. Yes, thank you so much, Alain. That was a lovely conversation. And... Yeah, see you, see you next time, see you very soon. And take good, good care of yourself and your yeah. wife and, 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 you and your health. <laughs> we, we still need you out there. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>